Hello and welcome back to Stationary and Sassy, a Fast and Furious quarantine podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Hampton. And I'm your other host, Penelope Fiffin. How's it going, Jamie? It's great. Um, I'm really excited about the show today. Yeah, so we have a guest on with us today, Emily Gorsensky. Uh, Emily, would you like to introduce yourself for the folks at home? Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Emily Gorsensky, and uh, I don't know, how do I introduce myself? I guess I'm, like everyone else, uh, watching Fast and the Furious during the quarantine. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I don't know, like I'm, I'm a bit of a gearhead. A, a, a lot of people don't know this about me, but um, I'm a huge auto enthusiast. This is incredible. We we didn't actually know this when we invited you on the show, and like neither Jamie or I know anything about cars. So I feel like we need to talk about some of the car things that could not possibly happen. Yeah, my the extent of my knowledge about cars is that I feel like it's probably not true that if you drive your car too fast, all the screws pop out and then the panels fall off. That's never happened to me. Has it happened to you? No, uh, well, uh, <laughs> there's a story about that, and I believe that the statute of limitations is up. <laughs> so it's not possible under normal circumstances, but we don't all live in normal circumstances. That's sure. <laughs> Would firing too much nitrous oxide into a car's fuel system cause that to happen? Uh, if you actually injected way too much NOS into the system, you would actually get like a lot of overheating and overpressure. So probably it wouldn't like, it wouldn't blow the screws out because like the, the whole thing about, you know, screws and bolts is that if they're tightened, they're, they're not going to go anywhere, right? Because you need the that rotational force to get them out, but it would probably blow your gaskets. It would blow your seals and it would, you would even risk like, warping or or cracking the head which is usually made out of aluminum or another soft metal or even the block which is like a piece of cast metal usually like so it is totally possible that you could ruin things but typically what you're going to do is blow your like um, piston rings what would happen to my car if i blew my piston rings while i was driving it um it would uh sound very unpleasant and the engine would stop running and you would come to a very slow stop from probably a precariously high speed uh, but <laughs> it would probably be fine because you know it's not like your car is going to grind to a halt or like flip over or anything it's just your engine will be shot and you would smell it and hear it and you would know it right away I actually blew the journal bearings. I had this this 1989 Nissan, what was it? It was a Nissan Sentra, maybe, 1989 Sentra. Like, God, almost 20 years ago. And I blew the journal bearings on that car. The journal bearings are like, go in the, it's like you have your piston and you have your like, like the piston connects, uh, the piston arm connects to the crankshaft. And there's like a bearing that, you know, has to take all of that load and all that rotational force. And I, I blew those in, in um, there was a Nissan Stanza. It was a Nissan Costanza. That's what it was. It's a Nissan George Costanza. Um, <laughs> and, and I just totally killed the engine. And it was like, the, to fix it was worth more than the car was worth. Did you do it during a street race? I did not doing it during a street race. <laughs> thing. Like, I didn't even, I didn't even do it during, doing anything fun with it. <sighs> I think 
in in the first like three minutes of this episode, we've had more detail about how cars actually work than yeah, the other like, like twenty episodes that we've done. <laughs> so we watched the Fast and the Furious two thousand one, and it is traditional on this show to ask what the top line takeaway is. So Emily, what was your top line takeaway from Fast and Furious two thousand one? That's a that's a hard one. Um... <laughs> I think it was so. I can I can go two ways for this, right? I can I, I, let me get serious here for a minute. Sure. I, I think Fast and the Furious, the first one, was one of these movies that was it. It sort of anchored a trend in the in the film industry that I didn't think it was meaning to, and they didn't even realize that they were doing at the time. But when Fast and the Furious one came out, um, there's all of these other movies in that era, like Gone in sixty seconds. The Transporter came out in 2002, right? It was like this right. whole era of like auto, like racing, high adrenaline movies that were was a totally different trend from the sort of action star movies of like the 80s and 90s. And it was like, you know, early CGI and, you know, just this sort of like, I don't know. The, the post-extreme phase, like in the 90s, like in the U.S., like extreme was everything. Like everything was like an X. And you remember even Vin Diesel like did triple X. Um, so I think that like Fast and the Furious 1 was the seminal movie that, that really like caused this trend. Um, but I think that the other takeaway from it was that like for me, it just capitalized on this whole like popularity of the kit, not the kit car, but like the very modifiable or customizable Mm-hmm. coupe and uh yeah it just sort of captured this like zeitgeist that that hasn't existed in quite the same way ever since i, I don't know maybe that that was more like analytical than you were expecting <laughs> i have like strong opinions about that that's what we brought you on for analytics we just make jokes but you we brought you on to talk about serious things for the first time yeah no <laughs> i mean I, i'll definitely keep it keep a high level but like so for me so I saw the first Fast and the Furious in the in the theaters when it came out in 2001. Uh-huh. And I hadn't seen it again since uh, and, until I started doing the marathon like a couple of months ago. I saw it for the second time like two months ago. Sure. And the reason that I never – I didn't watch any of the other movies in that 20-year period. I didn't see a single one of them. And the reason was um, when this movie came out, it was the summer of 2001. And uh, earlier that summer, one of my best friends was actually killed in a street race. He was, he was uh, racing down the stretch of road in, in northeastern Connecticut, and he was, he was passing somebody who was on the left-hand side of the road. And uh, the guys that he was racing against uh, rammed him off the road, and he hit, like, a tree stump, and his car went flying. He had this, like, 2001 brand spanking new Hyundai Tiburon Sport, like, fresh off the showroom floor. And uh, his car, like, you could see the damage in the trees, like, 40, 45 feet up in the air. So he, he was going. They were just cooking. Um, so I went and I saw this movie, right? And this is, like, three weeks after his funeral. Oh, man. And, and I leave the theater, right? And this is, like, you know, this is, like, peak era. of Everyone and their, and their mother's got a Honda Civic that's, like, got, you know, you know like, uh, exhaust tips on it. And none of them know how to drive. And they're all just peeling out burning rubber out of the parking lot and i was like traumatized and i'm like fuck this fuck these people fuck this movie i am never watching one of these again oh my god and so like i kind of let it go because for me it was just like this glorification of street racing it wasn't 
it wasn't like this action movie, you know, like mm-hmm. the themes of like family and all of that stuff, like really didn't settle on me. So that was like, you know, kind of shocking. And, and for a while, like it took me a while to get over that. But now that I watch it again, I actually think that it's, it's clear, like they didn't even realize that they were building a franchise when they made the movie, I don't think. And um, it's clear that it had like this, this anchoring of a franchise in it. Yeah, so we actually, we talk about this a lot on the show, that Fast and Furious 1 was filmed entirely in isolation, right? And when it was popular, that caused them to make two. And then, like, they didn't make another Fast and Furious movie for, I think it's it's five or six years after the second one, right? Tokyo Drift was filmed several years later. And then, and then it only became a franchise sort of after that. And so, like, you are you are right that this movie is like so iconic but at the time they were making it they were just making like kind of not even a high budget action movie right like it definitely is not only of its era but also is not of the best of its era right but it is incredibly iconic and and that's the thing cuz like they had so it came out around the same time as like Gone in 60 Seconds and Gone in 60 Seconds had a much higher budget I think I I mean don't quote me on that I'd have mm-hmm. to look it up but you know Nick Cage was in it and they had like all these classic cars and they had all these like fancy supercars right? right and they really like focused on the car and and you know this this sort of like classical patriarchal um hero storyline um and Fast and the Furious was none of that right and what was funny is around that time, like, I remember that when a couple of years later, when Triple X came out, you know, they were really trying to turn Vin Diesel into a franchise superhero. Right. Um, and there was like a lot of talk that like Triple X was going to be the new James Bond franchise and it didn't go anywhere. And then, you know, there was, there was Pitch Black and, and that was a great, that's a, a, a great franchise. Vin Diesel is totally underrated. <laughs> Black is, is a fantastic franchise. But it never became like the mega franchise. And so it just was very accidental, it feels like. Yeah. Well, I think I think what's curious, most curious to me about the Fast and Furious universe franchise, whatever you want to call it, is that from the time when they released the first one to the time when they started making multiple movies at once, you know, it's it's more than a decade. The first movie where they knew they were going to film more than one movie was Fast and Furious 5, right? 5, 6, and 7 were deliberately created as a trilogy. And so, like, I think for a long time they were just experimenting with it, right? Like, I mean, Tokyo Drift is this complete curveball movie unrelated to the first two effectively. And it really worked, and it really could have not worked. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I guess perhaps a question is, is do we think they got lucky or do we think, you know, there was something in the creation of this that made it such an iconic movie? I, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I don't really know. I don't really know what it was. I think what it, you know, if I were to, if I were to make it hazard a guess, I think it's because what they did is they popularized this like normal everyman type of of mindset in the movie. Like the thing is like, I actually hate all of the cars in the fast and the furious, right? Like (laughs) none of them interest me whatsoever. And, and maybe I'm heretical for saying that, but when you look at something like, you know, gone in 60 seconds, it was like, you know, very much around, you know, like these super fancy, like Ford Shelby's and, 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 you know, uh, Mercedes and all of these like super high end cars. And, 
Fast and the Furious felt like, you know, the cars felt like something that you knew a guy that had a car. (laughs) Right. And, and he was annoying. And like, if you remember, like in that era, you just, you know, everyone had like way too much bass and there's, they'd like be rattling their fucking license plates. Right. Like, you know, it was just that era where everyone was obnoxious with their car, but you could do it. You could kit out a a, a Honda civic or, or something like that for relatively cheap. And so it just felt so familiar. And I don't think anything else had that appeal. So it's funny. I am not old enough to remember like cars in that era. I was, I was 10 when this movie came out. I was 11 when this movie came out. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I remember of that era in my life, watching Pimp My Right on TV. Yeah. And, and like, the fact that this movie and Pimp My Ride were, you know, filmed concurrently around that time is not surprising, right? <laughs> that, like, when you talk about people kidding out their Honda Civics or vans or whatever, like, you know, they managed to make a reality TV show out of that because that was the culture then. Yeah, totally, totally. It was it was very much this, this culture of, like, you know, secondhand markets and stuff. And this... You know, when you when you put this in the bigger like American context of, of automotive culture, mm-hmm. you know, this is right before like all of these store all of these shows started becoming popular. You know, like on on Discovery Channel and History Channel stuff, where like people are like restoring cars and you know all of this stuff. Like before that, there was the the eighties and nineties. Honestly, were kind of a dark era for for automotive ownership. The, the 90s, it started coming around, like, the car as an art form again. But if you look at the cars in the 80s, they were awful. They were <laughs> terrible. Even the Ford Mustang, look up, like, the like a 1986 Ford Mustang. It, it just looks just like every other car. There's nothing special about it. And I think that the 90s, it started turning that around. And, you know, like, you had these these Japanese automakers that were really starting to figure out how to to appeal to both performance and budget. Mm -hmm. You had these big design trends that were happening among the German automakers in in the the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, the BMW hired this, God, I can't remember his name, but they hired this uh, American designer who was super controversial. And if you know anything about, like, the German auto industry, like, that's a big deal. And so, like, that's when you started seeing these, like, the car as an art form coming back. And, and, yeah, so I think that it just kind of, like, it had that appeal, right? Like this is something that I could do with my car. Like I can take my Civic right. and put rims on it or put a spoiler on it. So a thing they actually talk about a little bit in some of the like cast and crew commentary on this movie is like dumb driving muscle cars, like the big dumb American engineered to be as powerful as they can car versus Brian driving like a Nissan Skyline, right? The best of car technology like from japan and like i'm sort of curious to hear if you think that like in this movie because they have that diversity that different sort of car people can identify with either to sort of like find what they're looking for in this movie i I think so like i think that there's a little bit of everything right you can't have an american show about about class about cars without Mm -hmm. some sort of throwback to like american muscle you know that those right cars of the 60s and 70s and i think that that's that's there and that that's sort of the trope that gets repeated like vin diesel's always going to drive the the muscle car the the charger right. or 
her, right? So I think that that's part of it. And I think, you know, if you look at the first one, the little nerdy guy, I forget his name. Jesse, um, he's my favorite. Jesse. Yeah, Jesse, Jesse, yeah, he's driving a, a golf. <laughs> driving a Jetta. He's driving a Jetta. That's right. Like that was the the era of like Volkswagen being really popular, you know, a a popular budget uh, car and he's driving a a Volkswagen golf. And yeah. So I just think that everyone saw, like everyone had a little bit of something that they could, they could like relate to in that show. There was something for everyone. This is, this is incredible. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about, one thing that like really stood out to me when watching this movie again, which is they repeatedly and throughout use the term race wars <laughs> to wow. describe the big racing competition without like a hint of irony <laughs> or idea that like something might be wrong with using that term. And in particular that like, you know, this movie has a lot of racial tension between them and the the Chinese gang. And I, I I'm sort of like, curious to hear if you have any thoughts about that oh i mean it just goes to it just it's just that same clumsy like sort of relationship with with race and whiteness that is pervasive in american (laughs) cinema still today but especially of that time like you know the early 2000s we thought we were (laughs) post-racial racism is fucking solved there's right. no more racism, you know? And it's so, it was, it, it's just so clueless. It's just so clueless. You know, this is like the pre-September 11th world and everyone's like, oh, we're just living in harmony. You know, the 90s were great. The 90s were great. <laughs> and and so just like this, you know, unironically using this term race wars, it's just like, I can't believe that, that they were able to do that. At the same time, you know, we're a lot more sensitive to that stuff now because, we are going into this period where like racial tensions and politics are, you know, reemerging on really big scales across the globe. And so, you know, I think that if, you know, even 10 years ago, if somebody had said like race wars, I think a lot of people, probably myself included, would be like, haha, that's kind of a funny pun, right? Like it's not problematic because like people like Nazis weren't marching through the streets with tiki torches in 2000 you know, 11, right. There was, right. we weren't, we weren't having discussions on whether or not the president of the United States was a fascist or not, <laughs> uh, at least not earnest ones, even though, you know, that we probably should have been, but yeah, I just, for me, it's just, it's just so stark. It's like, you called it fucking what? <laughs> right. This really transported me back to 2001 where you could name your event race wars and dvd players were worth a lot of money such that they were a good thing to steal (laughs) yeah this the fact that the main driver in this plot is people stealing dvd players (laughs) is just kind of like so of its moment and of its era it's it's phenomenal so emily you told us about a I believe I'm getting this right when I say queer, Fast and Furious-inspired B-movie called uh, Abgefahren, which we looked up and discovered is only on German Netflix with German subtitles. And, like, I speak a little bit of German, and Jamie doesn't speak any, so we haven't seen it. But would you uh, be able to tell us about some of these B-movies of the era? Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, you know, we talked a little bit already about, like, how that era of movies like spawned all of these car films. And, and of course that wasn't limited to the American cinema that, that also made its way over to Europe 
Um, and there were a couple of movies that have recently surfaced on German Netflix. And one of them is, as you call it, it's called Abgefahren. And it's it was made in 2004. And this movie is, it, it has, it quite clearly borrows from the themes of Fast and the Furious, but it's essentially a German comedy. And instead of following Brian, you know, the sort of noble but maybe wayward cop, it follows this um, this young woman who's restoring her mother's like 1960-something Volkswagen Beetle. And she wants to she wants to race in the Paris Dakar rally. That's like her dream. And she falls in with this, like she has this conflict with this guy Cosmo, who's kind of like the flashy know-it-all, you know, race car driver. And uh, he kind of like gives her a hard time. And so she, she falls in with this other group of racers who's all women. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's led by this, this very stunningly beautiful Indian woman. And they're driving, uh, they're driving like a, uh, I don't know what it is. I, I, I want to say it's like, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't even know what kind of car it is. Some American muscle car. Right. And, uh, there's like a lot of, you know, she, the first scene where she walks into this, this garage with these women, there's like two beautiful women, like lounging on the hoods of these cars. And this, this Indian woman, like, you know, picks her up cause she's you know, riding her bike cause the, her beetle doesn't work and all that. And so she ends up like being the car genius that, that fixes everything. And, and all of these, you know, they, they have all of these elements of Fast and the Furious throughout this movie. You know, they're racing for pink slips, right? Like that's a thing right. that happens, right? Um, and then there's like the, the big event, which is like the illegal underground event. Well, actually, there's, there's like the big illegal un, uh, underground event. And then there's a literal underground event, which is two different things that happen in the movie. But the big event is like, where one of the race, one of the owners of one of the teams who's going to race in Paris, Dakar, is going to be there looking for new drivers. So, like, this is her shot, right? Um, so she falls in with this group of, of women, and Cosmo, who's, like, the hotshot driver, starts developing a crush on, on the main character, um, who's played by Felicitas Vol, who's, like, she's, like, this cute, short-haired redhead um, in the movie, and so does the, the Indian woman in the movie, um, whose character's name I can't remember. And so then there's like a love triangle between them where it's like Cosmo wants her, the Indian racer wants her, and she ends up falling in with the Indian racer first. And so she's like hooking up. And there's this big underground ra- like rally race like where she has to end up racing Cosmo, and, and Cosmo loses. And then it's found out that the Indian woman had put a tampon in his gas tank. Um, so it's like <laughs> really, really like the, the sex stereotypes are really, really bad. And it's also like awkwardly like there's a lot of sexual tension. Like the woman's punishment for doing that was that they poured like motor oil on her and tarred and feathered her. Um, and then, and then she ended up like the main character ends up with a dude at the end, of course. Um, so mm. spoiler, sorry, you've had 20 years almost to watch the movie on German Netflix, but, um, <laughs> and then, and you know, then there's the big race at the end and then the scorned female woman of color ends up crashing off, crashing out the, the main character at the end, um, even though he was about to win. And then Felicitas Vol's character, um, in her, in her little beetle takes the, uh, 
takes the race, of course. Um, and then they go on to race in Paris, Dakar. But the, the whole movie has all of these same themes. Like you can watch the parallels between Fast and the Furious and this. And it's like, if somebody wanted to make a, a femme bisexual comedy, German Fast and the Furious, this is exactly what it would be. It's like, you know, every beat in that story is, is the same. And so that's fantastic. There's also another film from 2004, a German film called Autobahn Racer, which also borrows from Fast and the Furious. Like it opens with a heist in transit of a bunch of Audi TTs from a, uh, from a, a car carrier driving down the Autobahn. You know, like they're the same thing, yeah. like they're jumping between the cars, right? And like an incompetent policeman. And then, so they also have a big, a big race event and, and they don't, thankfully they don't call it race fours. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that, you know, despite the fact that in the two th- early 2000s, we thought we were post-racial, I, I don't think that Germany should ever be um, having any media that uh, has any events called race wars. But they called it Grillfest, which I'm a little bit upset that the Germans beat us to a pun because Grillfest is an amazing name. (laughs) (laughs) That is incredible. Oh, my God. I want to say that I just Googled while you were talking about this. I just Googled, like, the cover for both of these movies that you were just speaking of. And I highly recommend that everyone do that. (laughs) Particularly Autobahn Racer is, like, in the... Fast and Furious font almost. Yeah, yeah, basically. Oh, that is. <laughs> and like Autobahn, like, or Abgefahren. So Abgefahren in German means, um, it means a couple of things. Um, it's kind of a pun. So it, it basically means like has left, like uh, you could say like the Zug is Abgefahren. Like the train is, is, is has left the station. But it also means like kind of like far out or like funky. Like huh. you could be like, oh, that's just total abgefahren. That's like, that's totally far out. But it's also kind of like what you would say at the beginning of the race, like the race, you know, it's, uh, you know the, the race is abgefahren. So it's like this pun but on, on, on Netflix, like as I'm scrolling through. So the way that I discovered this movie, right? Like I'm scrolling through Netflix and I'm bored as fuck. And like the, instead of having like the film cover, like the, um, like the poster cover, it's like the poster of like the two women kissing. And I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> now you have my interest. <laughs> but yeah, Autobahn Racer, is, it's like basically the Fast and the Furious in German. And and this undertitle, right? Abgefahren mit Volgas in Die Liebe. Is that at full throttle in love? Basically, yes. <laughs> that's, that's, in, that's incredible. That's basically what it means. That's incredible. Uh, also, I guess my German is, is yeah, a job. lot better than I, than I thought. <laughs> Fantastic. Emily, this this is, has been wonderful, <laughs> truly. Do you have any sort of like closing or last thoughts about Fast and Furious or any of these spin-off movies you'd kind of like to leave us with? I don't know. Like, I think, so I don't know anything about film, I don't study it or anything, but I would love to see somebody doing some sort of like analysis on, on, um, this era of car films. And, and if, if you're somebody that like wants to watch more car films, there's a bunch of stuff out there. And, and so maybe I'll just like, as like a car person, maybe I'll (laughs) kind of give a couple, um, recommendations of things that are just really great from that era. So if you've never seen Ronin, it's the gold standard in car chases. 
Um, and I think, you know, if you ask me, every car movie that came out after Ronin to this day has been trying to capture the magic of the car chase scenes in Ronin, which are simply fantastic, um, especially when you realize that that was done in the era before CGI. Um, so watch Ronin for, for the car chase scenes. Um, there's also in 2002, 2003, I think, there was this weird marketing sort of like co-branding thing that BMW did. And they released a series of, of films called the BMW films. And they were all done. They're all like eight minute long films. And they all star Clive Owen as a driver. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if that's entirely true if they all star Clive Owen, but Clive Owen is a driver in at least one of them. And they all have big name actors and they were done by big name directors. And some of these, like Guy Ritchie directed one with Madonna. Like, he directed this BMW film, and Madonna is, like, the, the main act, actor in, in this film. But some of them are just fantastic. Like, Alejandro González Iñárritu uh, did this, this film from that era um, with Clive Owen and Stellan Skarsgård. And it, like, will move you to tears, and it's like this eight minute or 10 minute long film. So there's this whole era of, of like auto films in that era. And I'd love for somebody to like do some cultural analysis and why that was. But yeah, other than that, I don't know, like take, take your pandemic time and watch these movies and have fun with them. Because I think that if you, if you don't take, if you can look past the, the clear silliness yeah. Put into these movies there's actually some really interesting stuff behind it strong plus one for that and if you do watch all the fast and furious movies you should also listen to our podcast if you haven't already <laughs> we've definitely been taking your advice emily and having a lot of fun with watching yeah. these movies <laughs> so much fun uh is there anything you'd like to plug no, I don't. I don't have anything. Um, I'll plug this. Go get vaccinated if you haven't gotten vaccinated. I want to end this pandemic so that I can go and <clears throat> rent a car and go drive on the actual autobahn where I have the unlimited speed limits. Um, so <laughs> let's go do Fantastic. that. <clears throat> Fantastic, Emily. Thank you so much. This has been really incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for having You've me. You've elevated our podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Stationary and Sassy, a Fast and Furious quarantine podcast. From me, Jamie. And me, Penelope. And me, Emily. Until next time, we'll be living our lives a quarter mile at a time.